Hello and welcome to Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. We're bringing you a roadmap to build a better Congress. My name is Nick Bushkar, and I'm joined by the co-founders of Elect 535, Michelle Olson and Rena Schneer. Hey, Rena. Hello, Nick. Hi, Michelle. Happy New Year, Nick. Happy New Year. As always, we're joined by political journalist Angela Carbone. Hi, Angela. Hello, Nick. It's been a while since our last pod, so today we are going to catch up on both the Senate, the House, where we are with redistricting, and more. Rena, I'd like to start with you. What have you been digging into this week? Uh, the snow, mostly, but uh, <laughs> if we are talking about the uh, elections, uh, let's start with Georgia, because it's really uh, easy. So the districts have been final. And uh, really, it seems that there is not much work to do when it comes to the House. So it's all about the Senate, baby, because all the districts are either very red or very blue. The only one, the two districts that are kind of in play used to be CD6 and 7, that Macbeth and Caroline Bordeaux, respectively, were the incumbent. Now CD6 is very red. So Lucy Macbeth announced that she's going to run in CD7. There will be a primary there between her and Caroline Bordeaux, but whoever wins is very likely to also win the general. And that's also the case in all other districts. What does uh, the Senate race look like? Well, the Senate race is, we we have Warnock to defend. And uh, we know that some people are going to actually step up to the primary. I just want to mention also that the filing date for Georgia is March 11th. So that's where we want to watch for. And after that, we will know all the candidates that are running. And I should point out that uh, Herschel Walker is probably going to get the nomination on the Republican side. And so there have been a lot of polls out there uh, comparing the two. Um, and the most recent data shows that they are, amazingly enough, within a point of each other. Um, yeah, uh, Raphael Warnock, according to the latest uh, Quinnipiac poll, polls uh, is pretty much dead even with Walker. And there are other polls that show Walker up and other polls with Warnock up. But overall, they're right there. Considering all the political liabilities that Herschel Walker has, it's hard to believe that this is even a contest. But uh, yeah, we we don't seem to have any problem electing people with very questionable uh, personal details in their lives. That 1980 championship uh, runs deep in the state of Georgia, I'll tell you. And does anybody know how Warnock's doing in terms of fundraising? I I would guess he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he's got a hefty. War chest. I haven't gotten the numbers right behind me, but I know he was one of the top uh, funded candidates in the Senate. And he might have had some uh, money left from uh, last time. I also want to kind of remind us that this is going to be in Georgia. It's all about getting out the votes, right? Everything is about getting out the votes. Who is the great candidate, which we may not know for some of those races that we are discussing today, 
until the filing date and, and later on until we know how much money they raised and who is really gets to be a front runner. But Stacey Abrams is running for governor in Georgia. She will bring every vote that matters and possible out. So that's kind of should give us some hope. So beyond Georgia, Michelle, what state uh, were you looking at this week? I've looked at a few. Um, One of the more interesting states was Michigan, simply because they have finally finalized their map as well. And because they had an independent commission, a bunch of seats actually came into play, which was not the standard story of this redistricting match. Most states became less competitive. Michigan actually turned that on its head. Some of the more interesting things that happened, a couple of incumbents have to run up against each other in both parties. So the new Michigan 11 will actually have Haley Stevens and Andy Levin, both Democrats, uh, running against each other in that district. Whereas District 10, Levin's old district, is now R plus three, and so is considered much less winnable and doesn't even have a Democratic candidate of note yet there. On the other hand, in Michigan 4, Fred Upton and Bill Huisenga, uh, both Republicans, are going to have to run up against each other there because District 4 is now is the only Republican district. Some new competitive races. Uh, Peter Major is a Republican um, in District 3. He's the incumbent. That district is now considered very winnable. There isn't a strong Democratic candidate yet declared there. Alyssa Slotkin in District 7, she's going to have a pretty uh, tough race on her hands. Her district has become slightly more Republican, and she's going to be facing off against Tim Wahlberg, who has raised a sizable amount of money himself. And then the other one is Dan Kildee in Michigan 8, who's a Democrat. Um, And there are a couple of Republican challengers already. They're still early in the game. They haven't got any um, money recorded at the FEC yet. And that's about it. So we've got two Democratic seats that are going to need strong defense, Slotkin and Kildee. There's an open Democratic seat that'll become harder to win. And there is still a good chance to flip the major seat. There we have it. That's Michigan. And and one of them, I think Elisa Slotkin is maybe a little became a little bit more favorable, but really tiny bit, and then killed the a little bit less. Uh, but I think they will really need strong defense with the atmosphere that we have and everything else. Uh, so we have really four districts in play here, which will make Michigan really uh, a place we need to do some work. For sure. Angela. What state were you looking at this week? I was looking at New Jersey, which uh, was it 538 says that uh, it's a it's been settled, although from what I have learned, it's really it's still in court. It's in the Republicans took the final map, which was decided by the commission, which was bipartisan, um, but it's split between Republican Democratic. Uh, favoring maps and Democrats won, um, but it, it is still up in the air. But uh, the the upshot is if it holds, then there are several three uh, districts that are more 
heavily Democratic than they were before, and the incumbents have a better shot at reelection. And unfortunately, by taking some Democratic voters out of the seventh district, uh, Tom Malinowski is much more vulnerable. As a matter of fact, his district, which was D plus four, is now an R plus three. Three Republicans have filed to run in the primary, including um, Keene, who is a New Jersey political royalty, but two other Republicans are also running. Um, so there's a lot of interest. There's a lot of op- opportunity for the Republicans to make some inroads. Um, the good news is that Malinowski is a very good uh, fundraiser. His, his, historically, he has outraised uh, the other House members pretty much across the board. Uh, I don't think he's a top fundraiser, but he's very strong. And right now he has more than $2.58 million that he has raised. Uh, and and still has 2.1 out of that 2.5 that he's raised over the past year. Um, but Andy Kim uh, was Republic, who was in the New Jersey three, is uh, now D plus nine his district, and his district was R plus five. So that's quite a shift for him. Josh Gottheimer also is is strong now with a D plus seven, and Mickey Cheryl Mikey. Cheryl in New Jersey 11 is now D plus 11. So in 2018, oh. New Jersey flipped like four or five districts, uh, I think at least four. Uh, one of them, you know, the, the candidate then flipped himself to become Republican. But uh, now they, I think all of the act. Act, very active volunteers in New Jersey will focus on this one district, New Jersey seven. So they'll, and they can make a lot of noise and, and be effective. And, and, and Malinowski is, I believe, relatively centrist. And so he could get a lot of support in a lot of places. How mad that, do you have to be as Malinowski? Everybody else got to be more supported, and he totally got trashed. Do you think he pissed somebody off? He pissed off the regulators, yeah. (laughs) They felt that he has enough backing that even in an R district, he can do it. And so they said, you know, they didn't, perhaps they didn't think that uh, Josh Gottheimer could, and they figured Tom Malinowski, he's, he's got a good, he's got a good campaign chest. He's got good people working for him, and as He's a a veteran, isn't he? Reminds me of when my teacher said, yeah, we're going to give you the hard assignment because we think you can handle it, Michelle. Yeah, (laughs) a lot like that. that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He's he's the kid with a good IQ. (laughs) Good good luck, Tommy. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Well, uh, to shift things over, uh, I looked into Colorado and Democrats aren't very happy about uh, the map that was drawn uh, for Colorado. They have an independent commission that draws their map, and it's been signed off by the Supreme Court there. And basically, it maintains the four Democratic districts that were there, the three GOP districts that are there, and then they gained a new eighth district. And it's quite competitive, actually. Um, It's in the Denver suburbs. Democrats aren't happy because, I mean, Biden won the state by 13 points, I think. They feel a bit hard done by. But also, it's a good thing. We need states setting a good example 
not being partisan, gerrymandered like crazy. So pros and cons. Um, one thing I do like about uh, Colorado is that they have a, uh, a decent website set up. Uh, you can check it out at redistricting.colorado.gov. It just gives you the rules, uh, the different maps that were proposed, a win for uh, transparency, I should say. The new district, though, that was created would have voted uh, Trump plus two in 2016, but Biden plus five in 2020. So there's hope for that uh, district, even though Democrats aren't super happy about it. It does make it sound quite, quite competitive. And yeah, competitive, but trending blue, right? So right. So that's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Cook, although even though that's the case, um, they have it as a toss up, but they have it as a Republican toss up. So slightly Republican and my guess, I, I'm just kind of reading into it, but my guess is that it's just because of the national mood, right? Democrat stock is down. Biden's uh, rating is down. So Republican toss up as opposed to Democratic toss up. And when's the filing deadline for the primary? I actually don't March know. March 11th. March, March 11th. 11th. Thank you, Rena. Yeah. The only other point uh, that I have here is unfortunately, uh, Colorado three, which is currently held by Lauren Boebert, has shifted two points to the right uh, with the new map. So that gives her an easier path to hold on to her seat. And her main challenger has already dropped out. Um, So we'll just have to see what's going to happen there. But I assume she will probably be here to stay. Or she will be primary. Unless somebody will get her in the primary. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I want so, to, to mention to that effect that the open seat, how critical it is to recruit excellent candidates, because that's in this kind of atmosphere, they were the one that, you know, may make make the play and get it done. I Do you know anything agree. about anybody who's running there yet, Nick, in District 8? Yeah, so uh, it looks like three Democrats have declared and maybe uh, six Republicans have declared. On the Democratic side, there is one candidate with about a hundred-ish thousand dollars of cash on hand. And then there is a uh, Republican who also has about a hundred-ish thousand dollars of cash on hand. So it seems a bit uh, like the district, 50-50. Let's talk the big one. We need we need to get a little positive vibe on the air. I think we need Alabama. to talk California. Oh, California. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And I can add another vibe after California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to cover Arizona at some point. So, you know, we'll need something after that. Anyway, California. Let's talk California. California actually has a few flips now. So there are three districts that the Good Democrats of California on the redistricting committee have made uh, a little bit more blue, uh, which means that three Republicans are potentially in danger of losing their seats. Uh, First one is in California 22, uh, David Valadeo. Um, His district became much more competitive. Uh, and there are two Democratic candidates already who have raised over 100000 bucks to face off against him, um, Eric Garcia and Brian Osorio. Um, so we'll see where that goes. Mike Garcia down in California 27 uh, also has um, some stiff competition. There are already seven Democratic candidates against him. Christy Smith seems to be the one that's gotten the most financial tracking. 
and uh, she's raised a little over half a million dollars already. And then Michelle Steele's District 45 is also now a, a D plus district. And there is a de facto Democratic nominee, uh, Jay Chen, uh, who has raised over a million dollars. And there is no one else declared in that race yet. There are ones that are also what we thought would be more competitive on the old maps have actually become a little safer for their Democratic incumbents, mostly uh, Katie Porter, who's now in a Biden plus 11 district, and then Josh Harder and Mike Levin are also both in Biden 11 plus districts. So that's uh, California 47, Katie Porter's, California 13, Josh Harder's, and 49 Mike Levins. Um, all three do have Republican challengers um, with a substantial amount of money going against them, but they should be a little bit safer. Unfortunately, in order to have some of those gains, uh, district number 22, which is where our favorite dude, uh, Devin Nunes was, um, that district, which did seem more competitive at R plus four is now like R plus eight or R plus nine. So that's staying red for, for uh, a long time. And then there are these two districts, uh, California 40 and California 41 that are listed as more potentially competitive. They were Republican, but um, they're still looking like likely Republicans. So the grand takeaway for that is three districts are a little safer as Democratic holds than we thought there would be. And there are three three districts that are more Republican flippable to Democrats. So, you know, the the California Democratic Redistricting Committee um, did its job for the party. They delivered. <laughs> counter, they delivered counteracting the, the Texas Republican Redistricting Committee. So, you know, tit for tat there. Yeah, and I would say that California 40s you know, seems, I mean, from the two, 40 and 41, more doable. I want to, I just heard yesterday that McClintock in California 4, which I know we, we know about a lot, may not run. Ooh. So, yeah. Uh, so he had some family issues. So people are waiting for him to see what he's going to do next. And that may, that, that district is on in the R side, but low R's. So yeah, it may, it was if it's made open. more R. It, it was made more R. It was R plus four, and now it's R plus eight or something like that. It was, it, it's more R. And then California 40, it's now held by, uh, well, the former California 40 was held by Lucille Roybal Allard, who is a Democrat, but that one was carved up. And the new district is much less favorable. So yeah, I mean, I'm not the, sure. Wh- where I looked, 40 is listed with Kim, even for now. I think that's where she's running. But it was Lucille Royval Allard's uh, district. And she declared that she's no longer running. She was like the first Latina uh, elected to the House back in like 1992 or something like that. So yeah. McClintock moved the opposite from R plus 8 to R plus 4. Oh, I had it wrong. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. So that's California. So do we uh, push forward with Arizona? You can do that one, Rena. I think we should. Okay. <laughs> so I got the honor of 
doing Arizona. So Arizona is totally an uphill battle. Uh, they also, they confused us all by shuffling the districts totally from one number to the other. Whoever was in number one is now in number six and two is now four and whatever. So really there are <clears throat> three districts or four districts to watch. Uh, the three Democrats, uh, Arizona two held now by Tom O'Halloran, uh, Arizona, what's now is Arizona six, the new one, uh, where Ann Kirkpatrick's old seat and she, is she announced she would was retiring long ago and also potentially uh Stanton's seat they are the only one that you could say are in play but they are really in a different position Stanton is is likely safe so we shouldn't even that much worry about him the open Kirkpatrick seat is really the one to focus that's going to be hard depends also on who are the candidates that are showing up. And uh, Tom O'Halloran's seat may be too hard to defend because it made really a very strong R. It's now R plus six. It used to be R plus two. There may be some chance to flip from R to D. Uh, Arizona one, which is held now by uh, David Schweikert. I'm not sure I can pronounce it right. Uh, and it's now much more comp- competitive as R plus two. Oh, Rena, you are ever the optimist that in this I environment, an R plus two is a flippable district. Love it. Yeah, we flip. We're g- I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a pair of rose colored glasses in the mail <laughs> for any for any uh, R plus two. We flip. Maybe it should be uh, blue colored glasses. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> well. What uh, what's left? What's left on the docket? High we've note. Looked, oh, we did Illinois. Illinois. A high note. Let's end on a high note with Illinois. Oh, we got Illinois. Yay, That's pretty high. Yay. <laughs> the <laughs> completely fairly drawn map of Talk Illinois. Oh, hundred yeah. percent. What 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 does Illinois have going on? Well, at least California could kind of make an argument that their maps were fair, kind Kinda. of. Um, Illinois, like even some. Democratic line drawers were like, yeah, I don't know if I could could have gone that far in Illinois. Um, but it, you know, as I said, we got to make up for a lot of uh, Republican sins. So the Illinoisans are doing their best. Is it Illinoisans? What are Illinoisers? I don't know. Anyway, so what's going on there? Uh, what what have we got, Rena? So well, Illinois we got- six. Let's start with Illinois six. Easy. Yeah. Not not something to so worry Sean about. So Sean Caston. Yeah, well, so there are now two incumbents going up against each other in Illinois 6. So that was the most interesting thing. Sean Caston is now running against Marie Newman, who's kind of pissed that her that her home was put into Sean Caston's district. And so she decided she would run against him rather than moving back to uh, the new Illinois 3 um, which I think is kind of crazy because that's a D plus 19 district. So, yeah. you know, I think that would have been an easy win, but whatever. Um, so they're running against each other in Illinois six, but that looks pretty safe for whoever wins that primary. Then there's the new Illinois 12 and there are two Republicans who are going against each other. there: Mike Bost and Mary Miller. 
And whoever wins that's going to win the seat. So right. again, it's kind of a tit for tat there. And then there's this Illinois three, which um, as far as we, I could see, did you find anything right now there of anybody running yet there? Um, no, but, but I'm sure they'll declare. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, it, it's March 14 is the, the deadline to declare in Illinois. Oh yeah. And actually I checked my notes. There are three that have declared, but they haven't raised any money yet. So we don't I, have any idea. Yeah. And it might, they might've raised in January and therefore it's not uh, yeah. publicly available yet. Yeah. And then we've got Illinois 13, which is also without an incumbent and that's gone from R plus four to D plus four. And so we do have a bunch of uh, Democrats there, or excuse me, candidates there on both sides. And there's been some money raised, but it's still early on there to to see how that's shaping up. But that should be a very winnable seat for Democrats. And then Illinois 14, we were always so worried about Lauren, Lauren Underwood. I know, Rena, you were fighting hard for her in 2018. Her district looks safer, which is amazing because she was in a really Republican district. And now it's like, uh, what, D plus, I can't remember, three or four. I, I I can't remember what the new one is. And then the last one is Illinois 17, which is Sherry Bustos's old seat. Sherry Bustos is retiring. Um, You may remember that she was in charge of red to blue in 2020, which didn't go so well, but uh, we'll put that aside. Um, And so she announced that she was retiring. Um, There are Democrats who have, declared that they're running, but it's again, early on there. Uh, however, Esther Joy King, who ran against Sherry Bustos and almost won in 2020, she has declared that she is running again. So I'm quite certain that she will be the nominee there because she still has quite a bit of money. Um, so bottom so line, mo- whatever the Democrat casting was also not so safe. So we have the, the Illinois 6 and 14 and 17 are now much safer than before. And then we have two new districts that are very likely to be these. What else can you ask for? There are actually three pe- three Democrats running in the... Uh... Illinois 3? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, there are three but that no have money. declared, but they don't have any money yet. So I don't yeah, really but- consider them declared until I see some money behind them. Except that at least one of them, uh, Delia Ramirez, is in the Illinois House, so she's she's kind of a known known yeah quantity That's legit. Where the other, one of them is a teacher at the Art Institute, and the other uh, is a member of the Chicago City Council, which is another. That's that's pretty fair. high profile. Are you dissing art teachers everywhere? Absolutely Angela, not. I- no. <laughs> So uh, I'd kind of like to pivot now because the shadow sort of hanging over all of these races is the national mood, is Biden's approval rating, everything that surrounds that. So I'd just kind of like to open it up to all of you. What are your thoughts about that, where that uh, is headed, what that looks like, how you think it'll interact with these races? I've been doing a little bit of looking at that, Nick. So... I want to see if I could figure out how much this approval rating uh, would really determine the outcome in November. Um, so I did a little bit of historical lookups. Um, 
And it's a pretty strong correlation between the presidential approval rating and how the midterm works out. And especially these days where people are ever more partisan than they were before, they do tend to vote how they're feeling about the administration. So right now, Biden's approval rating is uh, about uh, the is about 42 in the positive direction. Um, I hate to point this out, but that was about Trump's number at this point in, or during the election. He was at 40. Biden's at 42. So Biden's doing a little bit better, but um, not great. Um, and when you do a historical regression, that's a math term, uh, you will see that uh, with those kinds of uh, presidential approval numbers, we would expect a loss of around 40 to 50 seats. Um, Not good. If you follow that regression line out to say, what would historically, grant you historically, the approval rating have to be of a theoretical president such that he or she would hold the house as the house is defined right now. That is, you can only lose five seats. The presidential approval rating should be north of 60%, more like 65, 70%. Um, When was, do you have any sense of the last president that had uh, that approval rating at would it be Bush? To, Nick? I have uh, a whole graph. That's my guess. My, my I guess. actually saw the yeah. graph. Clearly. I haven't seen the graph. My yeah. guess is going to be W because of Both. 9-11 and the war. Both. W and Clinton. Good for you, Nick. That is exactly right. All right. Um, George W. Bush actually had, of all the presidents, the highest approval rating at the time of the midterms. Can you believe that? His approval rate. No, no. Act- oh, sorry. I take it Clinton. back. Clinton was slightly higher, slightly higher. Um, but George W. Bush held the most seats. Yeah. So he actually flipped uh, positively to the Republican Party seats when his approval ratings were at about 62, 63%. And Clinton, back in 1994, also gained seats for his party um, with his 66% approval ratings, um, which, which was which pretty looking amazing. Back, does sound, that's almost as hard to believe as the W. Right? And then, so, um, and you know who else did well relative to his approval ratings? Jimmy Carter. <laughs> Jimmy Carter only lost 11 seats for his party, or the party only lost 11 seats when his approval ratings were at 49%, which is an outperformance uh, based upon the presidential approval rating. But I will point out some positive things that we have to also keep in mind. One, in 2018, the Democratic voter turnout was 98% of what it was in 2016. So in the midterms, Democrats totally came out. And we had that wave that we that we anticipated because everybody was just horrified that Trump was in office, right? And by comparison, uh, Republicans only had, they had 40 million voters, 
So I think I, I'm guessing that they had a 60% turnout by comparison. So, you know, that's what was the blue wave. So if we can keep those kinds of numbers, so we so they had about 60 million voters in the midterms in 2018. If we can raise any numbers like that, you would think that we could actually do better than expected, better than what the historical um, numbers would show you. Um, if people are still worried about the state of our democracy. So I'll stop my rampage. I just pulled up the uh, uh, generic congressional ballot average on 538. And that's sitting at R plus two uh, on average. So 44.3 to 42.3 is what I see here. I mean, there are plenty, of course, uh, you know, the last thing that came out was a YouGov poll with a Democrat plus four, but the average is R plus two right now. And that flipped, it flipped interestingly in November of 2021. <laughs> Democrats lost ground. Afghanistan? In no, no, November. Oh. November. No, November, November was not Afghanistan. What? So what, what occurred? It, the, there was a precipitous drop starting in, well, actually in October. Um, Democrats were holding strong in the generic uh, ballot until October. And then it started to drop. What would have happened uh, October, Delta November? Wave. What was the economy? Yeah. The economy. Uh, Delta. No, I don't Delta. think the inflation was here Not yet. But, yet. But, but, but the economy. Delta. Delta was affecting Delta the economy. Wave and, and the bifurcation in what the response was. That makes sense. And the, and the Democratic response was out of step with the national polling. Also, this whole the whole fight about the bills and you know to to get something passed in and not getting anything done. The cinema mansion, nothing can get passed, kind of thing. When was the? It was still reverberating from Afghanistan, where that was viewed as a complete failure. Definitely, definitely. Uh, uh, When was the Virginia race? The Youngkin win? November. 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 You're right. Okay. Yeah. So let me ask you. Yanke, that race, do you think he won his win uh, is attributed more to his personality versus uh, the other guy's personality or was all more the, the, or the atmosphere? So that particular issue that he made front and center, right? And and um, forgot the name of the Democrat guy, uh, messed up, right? So that's, you know, I, I, the, the uh, rosy uh, glasses already arrived, Michelle. So that makes me think that if we get strong candidates, because district uh, house races are to some extent local. Yes, it, 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 it definitely matters because people will not go to vote. They say, forget it, doesn't matter. Whatever I vote for, nothing is getting done. That kind of atmosphere is not good for getting out a vote. But in terms of if you do go out to vote, which candidate you vote for, I would say the candidate really, really matters. I think that a lot of it comes down to culture, though. I think Democrats get blamed for a lot of things which are completely out of their control. Things like the critical race theory debacle, things like the defund. culture, what's that? The defund the police, the culture around uh, trans rights, all of those things, which are these flashpoints for, for cultural shifts. Democrats are having put on them viewpoints that are not necessarily those of the candidate. 
which has got to be incredibly frustrating as a moderate candidate in a swing state who really doesn't support many of the more uh, progressive or, depending on your mindset, radical left policy positions. Well, the Bloomberg called Youngkin uh, the nice guy in a vest and culture carrier. So from what Michelle is saying about the culture wars, that did have a lot to do with it, I think. And I will say that when you look at the latest polls in terms of what matters to voters, the number one issue still is COVID and Democratic policies are definitely out of step with the national view um, that's revealed when you look at the polls where uh, those say voters are saying that the economy and economic recovery is much more important than safety issues around COVID at this point in the pandemic or um, the endemic pandemic. Um, and so I think, dem- I think hopefully democratic policymakers will be able to move forward and that will be less of an issue come this summer. Um, and that will hopefully fade from the memories. Uh, and, and then if we can get some version of Build Back Better, some smaller version in the wind column, I think that could go a long way to um, having those pub- those approval ratings jump. Agreed. It feels like there's room for uh, improvement. It really does. And uh, people, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Now, I would like to pitch my final question to you all. Uh, would anyone like to take a you know, give their current estimate as to what they think the range might be of one to lost seats for uh, Democrats? So I, I, before we do it, and I don't know, maybe that's too detailed. For the states that we uh, discussed, the six states that we discussed, can you do that for those states? So California, is that going to be a plus three? Something else. Uh, each state... Because I think if we do the overall, but also we do state by state as we go along, we can see if that adds up, literally. Michelle, so I like that. Uh, Michelle, what do you think about California? Oh, well, I'll let uh, Rena Rose Colored Glasses give the up estimate. I'll be Debbie Downer. And um, I think we will hold our own in California. I think Harder, Porter, and um, Levin will keep their seats. Net, I don't net see number. Valdeo, Marcia, <laughs> or, you know, what's that? So, net number zero. What's the net gain? Net, or net zero. Uh, Angela, what about Jersey? I would oh, wait. Say, what about wait. other people on Oh, California? sorry, sorry. For California. Oh, so, California? we can all go around for California. Yeah, yeah. I, you I know, I'll, I'll go D plus one. Let's do it. I'll go D plus two. Wow. Oh, wow. Zero, one, two, three. Okay. Are we recording everything, right? So we know. Yeah. Okay. We are. We are. <laughs> now we know. And we can revisit it when the candidates really shape up because I know it's a lot. That's yeah. just preliminary. Okay. Which, which, what's the next one? Sorry. New Jersey? Jersey. I would say D plus one. I'm there too. D one. Which zero? R is going to flip there. Well, zero. I think- I think you've got a much more competitive, at least one of the two competitive districts. That's where I'm going. I'm going R plus one. Okay. I'm going zero. You know, I'm. That's the score. I got those 
sky color glasses on. Let's see. So in Colorado, uh, I will say I think uh, I think Democrats will win the new seat. You have uh, Jared Polis is a very popular governor. The state itself is trending blue and it's a suburban new suburban district. D plus one. I'm with you, Nick. Ditto. Okay. There we go. Wow. We have an agreement on something. All right. What else? Uh, What other states are we talking about? Michigan. Michigan's a toughie. I don't know. Michigan. Okay. Um, Michigan. All right. Well, let me do a little quick math here. I haven't given it that much thought. Uh, Let's see. Even. I'll go. I with say even. Slotkin holds. I think Slotkin's strong. I don't know that much about Major, but and Dan, Dan Kildy, he's pretty strong too. Yeah, I'm, I'm going even. I'm going even too. I'm going R plus one. Even. Mm. I think Angela and I may be about the same so far. All in. No, she said no, R, I just plus, said R one plus one. I did not. That. That's not, I know, and I said R plus one. And so when I was, right, we are even. And oh, I was, oh. Yep. It's a wash between the <laughs> two of us. Okay. Well, and then Georgia what about Illinois? Easy. Georgia is easy, right? Oh. Nothing even, right? So yeah. nothing. No, R plus one. R plus well, one. Because oh, because it's district. another, yeah, it's another district. Oh, oh, R oh. plus one. Correct. Yep. Uh, yeah. Arizona? And uh, Illinois then. What about? Oh, no, we, we have to do Arizona first. So we end up. In Arizona. Arizona. Okay. No. <laughs> okay. R what plus about? two. Hmm. Uh, yeah. yeah, probably. Yes. R plus one. Well, because of the because of Arizona one flipping. Uh Arizona two now. Tom uh, oh. Tom. Yeah, he's now in two. Right. He was in one. Yeah. There. And okay. Illinois. 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 I think I'm gonna say D plus 13, I think. <laughs> that is nice. Yeah. Talk about D- those blue glasses. D plus two. Uh no, probably D plus one. Michelle. Even. So you say we don't get any of the new seats? Well, wait. Yeah, I mean, we've got Illinois 13 and Illinois 3. Three. Both of them, I think we can get if we get them. Oh, but we lost. Oh, right, 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 right. Sorry. Yeah. Although I think that we might lose um, Bustos' seat. Okay. Yeah. All right. D plus 2. Sorry. Well, but we, did, we, we, did we lose... Uh, a, Mary uh, Mary Newman seats. Are we losing one of them, Sean or Mary? Yeah. So Illinois three is Marie Newman's seat. It's deep nineteen. Right. But she's, but, so it's going to be that one and hers. So that's even. So then there's oh. this one other new seat, thirteen, which is a D plus four. So we should be able to get that. But we could lose um, Bustos' seat. So yeah, D plus one, shouldn't it be? Yeah, but did Illinois gain anything? That's, I guess, where we're missing some of our... If, if they didn't gain, then it should be plus one because it's only the one that replaces the Republican that merged. So I, I thought they gained one as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, so D plus one. Okay, so I don't know how we are doing in terms of the uh, summary altogether. Yeah, I'm not sure either. <laughs> but I want to uh, bring another state, West Virginia. Yes, do go on. And about what about West Virginia? R minus one. Good point. They no, lost the seat, seat right? and yeah. they are oh, all our seats. So we should never forget that. You need that. to end on a positive note. Yeah, yes. ending on a positive note. I like it. 
I think that's uh, enough for today. Uh, I want to thank each of you for uh, joining back up since it's been a while since our last pod. And uh, let's not wait as long to do it again. It was a blast. Yeah, well, we should do the next six. There are six more states that are uh, really... Uh, yeah, who's on the docket for next week, Rena? Maine is done. Iowa, Texas, Nevada... Oregon and Virginia, I think. So all these states sounds like sounds a plan. Right. Completed. So we should do that and then wait until the other redistricting. And not for at, at the end, we should not forget to consider states that lost or gained a seat, but it's pretty much done which type they are losing or gaining. I think we'll leave it there on that slightly optimistic note. For everyone here, I'm Nick Bushkar, and this has been another episode of Represent, an Elect 535 podcast. See you next time.